Welcome to the Dwellings Podcast. We're glad you tuned in. Enjoy this message by Pastor Gunnar. So today is part two of You Go Girl. I know you just want to say it. So go ahead, get all that out. Um, if you missed last Sunday, me and my wife, Bethany, were up here and really just laid a foundation for this series and, and this series really really does build on top of each other. And so go listen to that message if you've not heard it. Um, but overall, what we talked about last week is we kind of did a snapshot of the whole Bible and realized that the Bible gives a resounding yes to women. Yes. Overall, that is the overall theme of the Bible is that God values, honors, affirms women, their voice and who they are and Jesus in the image of God in the flesh, how he treated women is how God views women and how God treats women, and that's how we should treat women, okay? And so when it comes down to value and voice and empowerment and all of that, the Bible overall, yes to women, okay? And so this topic is really important to me, and I'll say this, um, I call this automatic humility, when you don't know what you're doing. Have you ever done something you don't know what you're doing? You don't have to work it up to be humble when you're in that situation, right? You just kind of walk into something with some humility anyway. Automatic humility. You don't have to ask God for it, you know? That's kind of how I'm approaching this because I'm very much in process with this stuff. I was telling uh, the Vibberts this morning, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm just kind of like nervous this morning because I want to communicate this well and I want to communicate God's heart. And here's what I really want to get across to us today. Because this topic that I'm talking about today, I'm sorry, this guitar string, I got to get it out of my way. I want to like, okay, there you go. Sorry. My ADD kicking in up here, I can't. Um, but what, what my goal is for today is not, listen to me, not to win an argument about a divisive subject. It's not to convince anybody in here to think differently than you think. Yeah. My goal in here today, and I was asking the Lord all week about this. It's like, Lord, I just want a woman in the room or watching online who's going to hear this to some, for a light bulb to come on and say, oh, I can, there's more to my calling and my identity and what God's called me to and my purpose than I thought. And I want to just maybe just let, I want the Lord to just give some freedom today to some women. And so that is my heart above anything else. Now, I will say this. This is, this is a very touchy subject in church. Um, what roles women have and do not have and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm approaching this with an open heart and an open mind. As, and I'll tell you this. I used not to think the way that I do. I know that ain't good English. But... <laughs> through just processing this with the Lord and just serious study for, of Scripture and seeing Him work through women, I don't think like I used to. And so I'm still on this journey. We're all Raise your hand if you're on a journey and you haven't arrived yet. And so the big ask from you is, let's come at this subject with an open heart, open mind, and really just dig into what the Lord has to say to us through his word. That's my disclaimers. No, I got one more. There's no way I get through all this in one message, but I'm gonna try, okay? All right, you ready? 
I don't believe you. Okay. All right. So before I get started, before we dig into scripture, I want to define two terms. And some of you, this will be old news. Some of you may have never heard this before. There's two views basically in the church. Um, I don't want to say sides to an argument, but that's kind of what it is. I actually think there's a better way to look at things. Sometimes instead of jumping on this bandwagon or jumping on this bandwagon, what do we always say? In the kingdom, there's somewhere on the road that is the right way to look at things and the right way to operate. It's the kingdom way. Sometimes if I walk over here too long or too far, I'll fall in the ditch on this side. If I walk too far on this side, I'll fall in another ditch. How many know we're not meant to live in the ditch when we're going to be on the road? And so I don't even like to look at it that way because it even further divides the church. But I feel like it's helpful to see two thoughts, two thought processes in this uh, topic. Okay, so the first one is this. Complementarianism. Wow. Mouthful. So complementarian view is the theological view that women and men are equal in value, but in roles there are differences. Okay? How many know women and men are different? <laughs> Some of you wives are like, yeah, we real different. Okay? But... And so it doesn't, so complementary doesn't mean anything but God created men and women differently. And that shows up in life, in the home, and in the church. That's what complementarians believe, okay? And then you got the other side over here. I said I wouldn't say other side, but it wants to look like a spectrum, okay? On the other side is egalitarianism. You want to say that one? No. Somebody said no. <laughs> Egalitarianism, which comes from the word equal, equal or equality, basically says men and women are not only equal, and both sides would say that, right? We're equally created in the image of God, but it's just about role and function. And so egalitarianism would say, it don't matter. Like, there is no role, there is no function that is off limits to women or men. And so in between, we've got a spectrum of belief and over here, if we're going to call this the complementarian side, and that's the egalitarian side, there's what we call soft complementarianism, which is like maybe here, versus hard complementarian. And here's the danger in, this is where we need to be careful, is what I'm saying. If I walk too far this way, and I get dogmatic about a few scriptures, I can actually cut women off from their God-given purpose and identity in the church and, in, in, and just in general. And I can actually, if I go too far with this line of thinking, I actually can degrade women and, and subjugate women and cut that, just cut half, more than half of the church off, by the way. And if I go too far this way and I get in this ditch, I can actually degrade men with my purpose being, my motivation being to lift up women, I'm actually beating men down. How many have seen that before? And what I'm saying is there's a better way. Okay, and there's a whole spectrum of beliefs. And what I love about, this is just me, 
nine on the Enneagram if you like that kind of stuff. Like, I'm just, I love to see both sides. I can see all angles. I love the both end of, of things. And I've got good friends that are on this side and good friends that are on this side, and I love them. And they love me. And some of them don't love each other, but that's okay. Like, that's what I'm here for. Come on, let's go. So the kingdom way is often in this beautiful tension. And I, I just feel like that's where we're supposed to walk because just because somebody's complementarian doesn't mean they're anti-women. And just because someone's egalitarian doesn't mean they, I'm gonna say it again, they're woke or that they've got uh, tainted by the culture or whatever, you know. How about we just stop calling everybody heretics? I mean, that's a strong word. I think we throw that word around really easily and very flippantly when we're actually damaging the body of Christ when we do that. And so, there you go. I will say this too, another disclaimer. I'm getting to my message, okay? The other disclaimer is this. If you wanna go deeper, which I encourage you to do this, because like I said, there's no way in this series we're gonna be able to scratch the surface on all this. But if you go to thedwellingchurch.org, click on the little hamburger thing up there, and go resources, recommended reading. I've added three books onto the website that will just help you to go deeper in this stuff. And some of them are like the both and, looking at both arguments in scripture, and some of them are more on this side, and some are more, I like one of them, neither complementarian or egalitarian, a kingdom corrective to the argument. And so go, go read that if you want to. All right, so we've established that the Bible gives a big yes to women, okay? All throughout scripture, you see, God raising up women leaders, women prophetic voices, using women. You, you saw women uh, following Jesus. The women were filled with the Spirit too at Pentecost. They're the ones that went and took. You have, you have deaconesses in, in, in Romans. Paul talking about Phoebe. You have an uh, apostle named Junia. We talked about all this last week. So go look at that. Big yes to women. Now, this week, I told you I was going to get in the weeds a little bit because there are some difficult passages in the New Testament in particular that we want to dig in today. And I call these boogers. <laughs> now, these aren't the boogers you're thinking about, okay? But in Alabama, when around, around Halloween time, we talk about don't let a booger get you. Have you ever heard that? No. Who's country like me? So something scary, growing up, we called it a booger. My dad's here today, my stepmom, am I right? A booger, right? But a booger's only a booger if you're scared of it. And so I would encourage us that when we run across something in the Bible that's like, what? Not to be scared of that, but to actually lean into it. Because there may be a purpose that is there for us to not just go surface level with, but really dig deep to see what is God talking about right here. The two I want to talk about today are some booger passages. Some of you are like, hashtag boogers. Like, what is... Okay. My wife would be like, stop. Just stop if she was in here. All right. 1 Corinthians 14 is the first one. 
verses 33 through 36. Trigger warning. Here we go. As in all the churches of the saints, this is Paul talking, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful, shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, some of y'all done violated that this morning, because y'all said, mm-hmm, and amen. Just kidding. Then the other passage is this, 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 15. This is Paul again. And he says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves with respectable apparel in modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Now remember that. Rather, she is to remain quiet. I told you, trigger warning, okay? For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now, let me just tell you, there's a whole lot of boogerishness in that verse right there that we're not even gonna touch today. But the books that I recommended on our website dig into those passages. But what I want to do today, just because I'm already almost out of time, is to really focus on one verse in 1 Timothy 2, verse 12. It says, Paul is talking to Timothy, a pastor in Ephesus, and he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. We're just gonna stay right there because if that verse right there was not in the Bible, we wouldn't be having this conversation. This is the hang up. This is the difficult passage that I really wanna lean into because I feel like this one, um, it's like a concentrated version of all the other stuff, okay? And there's not that many verses that sound this way, but 1 Timothy 2, 12 is like the, it's, it's the banner verse, okay? It's like the, um, it would be the complementarian's proof text, okay, for, for what, what they believe. So here we go. I do not permit a woman to teach or, to ha or exercise authority over a man. Well, that seems real clear, doesn't it? Well, a brother is black and white right there in the Bible. We ought to believe the Bible for what it says and just, well, it's not, quite that easy because that raises a whole lot of questions. Like if, if you can't teach or lead, then does that mean you can't stand on the platform with a mic? Do we have to put you on the floor? Does that mean in a home group you can't speak up? At what point are you no longer just conversating, but you're now teaching someone something? Wouldn't that depend on who hasn't learned something yet? Would it be authority over a man? Uh, just like here, we have Leah heads up youth. Well, when they're 18, does that mean she can no longer speak into their lives? 18 is a Western American construct of age and maturity. So what does that mean in Southeast Asia? Do you see what I'm saying? Like it just raises a lot of questions. And a lot of churches actually really lean hard into this 
and actually put these stipulations up. And I'm going to read some of them now. But if a woman cannot teach or have authority, is our dogmatic passage to be applied to every place for all of time in the church, then what do we do with some of these verses like 1 Timothy 2, 8 or 1 Corinthians 11, where in verse 5, Paul actually affirms women praying and prophesying out loud in a meeting. So which is it? He says woman, women should keep silent in the church, but then in the same breath almost, sometimes even within verses of each other, he's affirming women speaking in church. So there's either a contradiction that somebody miswrote, which I don't believe, or there's something more going on, okay? And so if we're going to take that women should keep silent, I do not permit a woman to teach her to exercise authority. If we're gonna put the weight on that passage like some churches do, some movements do, then we cannot ignore the rest of the commands in Paul's letters. And I would like to submit to you that we put a heavy emphasis on not allowing women to teach or exercise authority, but we put not so much of an emphasis on the equal commands that Paul gives these churches. For example, 1 Timothy 2.8, in every place the men should pray and lift up their hands. Men, when you pray, if you're not lifting up your hands, we're going to come say, hey, actually, you need to put your hands up, sir. You know, I'm not, I'm kind of being funny, but let's put some weight on those verses too. What about 1 Corinthians 11? Are we requiring women to wear head coverings when they come in a meeting? Because that's in there. Some of y'all just learning this. What? Um, are we requiring men to keep their hair short? Because Paul says that in 1 Corinthians. Like, which ones are we going to, are you with me? Which ones are we going to apply and which ones are we not? Because sometimes we think, well, that was just for then and there. Well, wait a minute. What about the same conversation Paul is having? Why are we putting so much weight on this and not these other things? I'm just pointing out the inconsistencies in this line of thinking. 1 Timothy 3 2 and 4, if we gave those verses the same weight that we do 1 Timothy 2.12, then women who were not married and didn't have kids couldn't lead in the church. Go read it. 2 Corinthians 13.12, are we doing this one? Greet each other with a holy kiss. <laughs> what would y'all do? First time guess, aren't you so glad... <laughs> That our greeters didn't come smack you on the cheek this morning. I'm just saying, and look, I'm just pointing out the inconsistencies. If we're going to hold dogmatic, we're going to be dogmatic about certain passages, let's be dogmatic about all of them. Let's just don't pick and choose which ones we like and which ones we think were for then and not for now and all that kind of stuff. So... Again, I don't think that those things should be implemented. I do think those were cultural things. I do think that those for that time, that time, that period, that place. So, which is it? What is Paul saying here? Because it seems to be some, some, uh, some contradiction. Let me just give you uh, uh, something to remember that has helped me a lot when I interpret Scripture. 
The Bible was not written to us. The Bible was written for us, for us to glean from, to know his heart, to know it's the revelation of who God is. It's the gospel. Through his word, we, we know these things. We know the way of salvation, the way of the kingdom. We know uh, Jesus because of this, but it wasn't rent to, uh, written to us. It was written to people who lived a long time ago in a faraway place, not in Savannah in 2022. There's a difference in the way that those people read Scripture in which we read Scripture. We're coming at a lot of things with a different lens than they did. And so good interpretation, good biblical study is not just saying, well, it says it, so it must mean it's true. No, we need to dig deeper. And guys, there's really no excuse for it now. Like, I'm not be, trying to be mean, but like, you can get online and access any book that you've ever even heard about on this subject and dig into it. So I think we, we got to stop being lazy about stuff and just saying, well, that's the way it is. No, do your study and figure it out for yourself. Don't just believe something. Don't believe what I'm saying up here because I'm saying it. Dig. And dig into the hard stuff. So if there are seeming contradictions in Scripture, the problem is not with Scripture. It is with our interpretation of Scripture. And often our interpretation... If it's off, it's because we have misunderstood or ignored the context of a particular passage. I cannot come at the Bible looking through a lens of one passage. I can't pick a passage, let that be my lens that I see the rest of the Bible through. The opposite is true. I must take the Bible in its entirety the revelation of God. Let that be the lens that I now interpret the smaller passages by. Okay, so let's dig into the contexts. Are y'all with me this morning? I know I'm not normally this teachy, but we're going there, okay? So three contexts. I want to talk historical, literary, theological. Y'all in Bible school this morning, whether you like it or not. Historical context is this. The letters of Paul were written in the later part of the first century, they didn't have steeple churches. They didn't have warehouse churches and microphones and electric guitars. They didn't do church like we do it right now. This is why we, I love home house churches like we're doing, home, home communities, because that's what the original church looked like in the first century. Now, they'd get together for stuff like this, but a majority of the church and what they saw as church was home meetings. And so when Paul's writing, he's talking to house churches. Leadership was more fluid. You know, you think of leadership now. Now, they had leaders and they had structure, but it wasn't like the guy who's the pastor of the church with the mic and he's always preaching. It was more fluid than it. Than it. It's a lot like what we do with communities. It was fluid. And everybody, see, Western church, we've made it about the guy with the gift on the stage when actually the church has the gifts and it's the, it's the job of, the, of the, the ones who are called to the offices to actually equip the saints for the work of ministry, not just the people doing the ministry. Everybody's a minister. They still had an idea of what that was really about. 
because they're, they're in that first generation of the church. And so we cannot read these passages with modern Western church eyes. In Timothy, Paul's talking to a young pastor in Ephesus. In Titus, he's a young uh, leader in Crete in the church. They're dealing with a lot of false teaching that's going on in the church. How many know that even at the beginning, people had some jacked up thoughts and had some jacked up teachings? And so Paul, in speaking with Timothy and in addressing the church in Corinth, I believe that Paul was speaking to specific instances. He wasn't prescribing something for everybody. He was actually saying, I'm addressing this. And he was putting his finger on something. And what was actually happening is what we know is happening through these letters that Paul's writing. If you read it again, in the whole context, is that there was a false teaching that had crept into the church. And the unfortunate part of this was that women were the ones who were really working it up. I mean, and so what's happening is the women were, because of just how life was culturally and everything, they're meeting in the homes and they're talking about this. Hey, did you hear about this? And they're saying that the Bible's not really right. It was actually Eve, that Adam sinned, and, and then Eve was after her, and like Eve was created first. That's what I heard anyway. And so they're just like talking it up and it's getting jacked up and they're twisting scripture. And, and the, the women of these, these churches, it's kind of just like a virus. It's just going through the churches. And Paul tells Timothy in another place, shut down the meaningless speculations. Like this crazy stuff that's actually distracting people from the real gospel and the life that Jesus called us to, shut it down. That's what he's addressing in these passages, and that's what he addresses with Timothy. And it's no wonder Timothy, he told Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, because he had to stand up to some strong women. <laughs> and he was probably terrified. But that's what was happening. And, uh, and don't, don't let, he, he told Timothy, don't let them look down on you because you're a young guy. And it's, it's this, it, there was just some wonky stuff going on. And Paul is saying, Timothy, don't, you can't let this run. God's put you in, in, in a leadership position over the, the church of Ephesus. You can't let that go anymore. You, we got to put our foot down because it's heresy. It's literal heresy. And so because it was very like a battle between the sexes theologically, it was like, what they were doing was women would come to the house church. When it says in homes, they're talking about house churches. It was like if your community leader had something planned and somebody just hijacks it. Sometimes that happens, doesn't it? In a good way, hopefully. But what was happening is women were coming into the house churches and they say, actually, that's not right. Let me tell you about this new revelation I've got. It's about women are superior to men and all this kind of stuff without going into all the details. Well, Paul's like, mm, we gotta, mm -mm, we gotta cut that, we gotta shut that down. Yeah. So Paul was just addressing a problem, not prescribing a pattern. Paul was addressing a problem, not prescribing a pattern. And so you gotta look at the literary context. The important question to ask when reading a passage like this is, where else does this appear in scripture? Is this common 
or is this an abnormality? And if you were here last week, I think you'd agree, it's an abnormality. It's not normal. I don't see Jesus telling women to sit down and be quiet. So why is Paul doing it? Because there's more going on that we can't see. The theological context is this. Scripture must interpret Scripture. So I can't just pick a few verses and just be dogmatic about it. And I can't let that rule the rest of the Bible. Are you following me? I've got to take the whole Bible, interpret the hard passages through that. And so I, w- I want to lean in, 1 Timothy 2.12. Can you put that up there again? Where he says, I do not permit a woman. By the way, some scholars believe the language switches from women to woman here. It could have been that it was even just a singular woman in that church that he was talking about. But I know that's debatable, so I'm not, I'm not dying on that hill. But I'm saying that a lot of scholars do think that. In this verse, exercise authority. Everybody say authority. In the Greek language in the New Testament, the word most often used for authority is a word that, that is uh, it's called exousia. And it's kind of like exercising authority. Exousia was this word that was commonly used for authority. When you see Jesus teaching and they said they were amazed at Jesus because he taught with Exousia, with authority, unlike the religious teachers of the law. And another place where the uh, centurion comes to Jesus, hey, heal my servant. And he's like, look, you ain't even got to come with me because I know how authority works. I'm a man under authority. My, my superiors tell me to go and I just go do it. So all you got to do is tell that sickness to leave and my servant will be healed. And Jesus was wowed at his faith, Scripture says. It's that same word, authority, exousia. Exousia. Every time in Scripture that that authority is referred to, exousia is used except for one time in this passage. The word Paul chooses to use for authority in his letter to Timothy is authenteo or authentine. And it's a word that literally means to usurp authority, a violent takeover. A, um, a domination to take it forcefully. And you say, well, this is the only time it's used in Scripture. And you say, okay, well, we got to look at other Greek literature around that time to see how that word was used. In every instance, it's talking about forcefully taking something that doesn't belong to you. or Forcefully beating somebody down so that you can be on top of them in the, in the pecking order. And that's what Paul uses to describe what's happening in the church at Ephesus right here. Now, if he meant, I don't want women leading men, I would have used exousia if I was a Greek-speaking person of his day. But in in fact, he doesn't use that word. He uses authentine, which literally means, I do not permit a woman to teach or to act because of what they're teaching or exercise authority. In other words, usurp the men's authority in the church. Because they feel like they got a better word or better better whatever. That's what he's talking about. That's the context of what he's talking about here. So yes, there's a whole lot of 
crazy stuff going on in this passage right here. And there's a whole lot of digging room to have. But what I see overall, not just in the Bible, but also in the New Testament church, is that women were leading, women were teaching, women were prophesying, women were praying out loud in meetings. And so Paul acknowledges that and he only brings correction where it's misused. So how do we move forward in this? And listen, like I said, don't take my word for it. Dig into this stuff. There's really smart people on both sides of this thing. And all, all, all in between. Do some study. But how do we move forward on this? Number one, we move forward in unity. This is not a primary issue. This is a secondary issue. Whether you believe women can preach or teach or whatever is not, it's not dependent upon salvation. It doesn't, that doesn't change the gospel. So let's don't hard, draw those hard lines. Let's just learn from each other. Let's figure this thing out and walk in unity together. Resist the urge to pick a side. Choose Jesus' way. So in my view, I see two options, and I'm closing, okay? In my view, I see two options. We either can cut off over half of the body of Christ and their influence and their value based on some passages that really have not been agreed upon for years and years. Or we can embrace the value of women in the body of Christ and empower them to be who God's created them to be. I've prayed a lot about this. I've studied a lot about this. I, I, come, I come at this with like some fear and trembling as I often do when I teach or when I have to share anything because I know it's a big deal. And I know that one day, Paul says teachers are held to a higher standard. In other words, I'm gonna stand before God one day and there's another place in scripture that says that we're to give an account for every idle word. The words we said, well, we weren't even thinking, much less the ones we studied about and delivered to a group of people. And so I come at this with fear and trembling, knowing that I don't want to be wrong on this stuff. I don't want to lead people astray on anything. But here's what I've got to do one day is I've got to stand before God. And I would rather him correct me for empowering his daughters than to say, why did you sit my women down? Why did you shut my daughters up? I'm not doing that. I'd rather err on the side of freedom and empowerment based on what I believe the word teaches rather than shut down half the body of Christ over some misinterpretation on my part. And that's where I stand on it. And so in light of all this, I know it's a lot. You guys are awesome. But in light of all this, we not only just let women be women, but we make room for them here.
So one of the things that we say is our values. We make room for people. And that's what we're doing at the dwelling. And that's why you got women leading. That's why you got women teaching. And um, we're just in this together. I love what one preacher said. In a time where women weren't really accepted as ministers of the gospel. He said, look, we got a harvest. And if Jesus said, if the laborers are few, why don't we let the women get on on it? Like maybe that might have something to do with it. (laughs) But the harvest is ripe. And the job's a big job. And every single one of us in the body of Christ is called to it. Yeah. So, Lauren, you guys want to come up? Let's do this again. Women, stand. If you can. If you're near someone who's standing, just reach your hand out toward them. Father, we thank you for the daughters, the mothers, the sisters, the warrior women in the body of Christ, the prophetesses, the servants, the teachers, the leaders. We bless you to take your place in the kingdom, to rise up with humility, key word, rising up with humility, letting the Lord raise you up as you humble yourself. We bless you to rise up and to be who he created you to be. Mode, you have such a prophetic thing on your life. And the Lord is calling you into a deeper, just exercise of that gift. And matter of fact, in worship, do you have a, did you have a word you felt like you need to share up here? Because anytime you do, I want you to tell me, because there's something on your life in that area where you just are really a mouthpiece for him. I've seen that. I'm thankful for that. I just affirm that in you. Tracy, the dreams that God's put in your heart, he is faithful to finish what he started. Sam, you are loved by your father. Keep dancing. 
Ashley, you're seen. Elroy, the God who sees, he sees you. Addison, I felt like there was just a light, just not only shining on you, but out of you. There's like this, there's just more. There's more that he has where you're, you're just gonna shine and people will see the radiance of Jesus on your life in a way that, that you've never, you didn't even think was possible. People are gonna actually be drawn to you because of that and you have the wisdom to speak into their lives. You're gonna have just a prophetic wisdom to speak over their lives. So just expect that because it's coming. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your beautiful gospel. We thank you for your cross, your blood that washes us clean. If there's anybody here today that's not been forgiven and washed by the blood of Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross, you can receive that free gift right now. It's not by working up anything. It is literally by laying down everything, saying, Jesus, I need you. And I give you my heart and my life today. Would you save me? Would you cleanse me? Would you fill me with who you are? Give me the power to live for you. If you pray that this morning, tell somebody out at the connect table this morning. We'd love to give you some next steps on how to get connected that way. And Community leaders, if you would come up, if you're able to, come on in the uh, up to the altar time, and we will do some ministry and prayer for people. There's specifically, there's a um, uh, someone sent me a text saying they, they believe the Lord is wanting to heal uh, infertility issues, uh, specifically women's health issues uh, in the room. So I know that's a sensitive subject. And so we'll open it up for everybody who needs any kind of healing prayer or um, prayer of any kind. You just need somebody to shoulder a burden with you. Uh, come on up here. Let's all stand and I'm gonna pray for us and we'll be dismissed today. Are you encouraged? I hope you got a little more fire in you this morning than when you walked in. A little more clarity and uh, to walk out what he's saying to you. All right, Father, we thank you for your beautiful bride, your beautiful body of Christ. And we're just so honored and privileged to be a part of it. We thank you for your grace, for getting us in the door, in the kingdom. Lord, let us walk out of these doors and live out your kingdom in every place you put us. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen. You guys have a great week. Come for prayer. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information, visit thedwellingchurch.org.